Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another edition, yet another episode of... Gut Wrench Podcast. I should have added a wait for it right there where I paused and took the little but um with that out of the way now that I've welcomed you to the podcast today we will be talking about around this time 20 years ago and not only 20 years ago but also today think about the fact that how far we've come professional wrestling wise and at around the end of this podcast we will be discussing AEW more than WWE because they've got so much going on right now including one banger of a match by both Hangman Adam Page and Brian Danielson I have to remember not to call him Daniel Bryan. Okay, so, on the episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, 12-4-2000, which was December 4th, which was December 4th, 2000, we have the fact that it starts off with a recap of last SmackDown on Thursday, A segment of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon celebrating one year wedding anniversary. And Triple H looks over at Austin who's in the ring and then he says, Austin, you can join us. I'm even, I'm extending my hand. He said, you can join us in our one year anniversary and it shows like clips of them drinking champagne with each other and uh Triple H giving Stephanie like some some box chocolates that look like that they're in the shape of a heart and you know how strong I guess you could say that their love is and I haven't seen a power couple so strong since Since the Miz married Maurice. But more on the Miz later. I'm joking. He's not in this episode. But after that, we get Undertaker versus Rikishi. And honestly, it was very underwhelming. Um, Not much happened. Not much happened at all. Matter of fact, I didn't put down any spots. Usually I... Put down like uh, someone went through a table or, uh, you know, exciting parts to a match. For those of you who don't know what a spot is, a spot in a wrestling match would be like um, when Braun Strowman went up to the top turnbuckle with, um, it was either Mark Henry or uh, Brock Lesnar. Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar, they broke the ring. You know, or it was Roman, wasn't it? Yeah, yep, I think it was Roman that they went up to the... 
top turnbuckle with. The point being is that the, whenever the ring broke, that was a spot. If you've ever played WWE 13, spots are known as um, OMG moments, like Roman spearing someone through a barricade, or that's that's a spot. Usually they're easy to spot, no pun intended. But of course, what I mean to say is that there were no spots in this match, Undertaker versus Rikishi. So I just gave it two out of five stars. Um, next we have a tag team tag team championship match. Uh, the Hardy Boys, Jeff and Matt Hardy versus Bull Buchanan and the Good Father from RTC, Right to Censor. And I'm pretty sure you guys already know who Right to Censor is. I put here that it's not too exciting. And it it probably wasn't. The Dudleys, uh, the Dudley boys come out dressed as RTC, right to censor, to cost the Hardys the match, is basically what ends up happening, um, after the Hardys almost win the match, almost have the match won, and in come the, what JR keeps referring to as those damn Dudleys, it's those damn Dudleys, King! And he started calling them that, if you don't know, because he powerbombed uh, through a table on one Thursday Night Smackdown episode. He powerbombed not only Mae Young, not only um, Bubba Ray Dudley did this, not only uh, Mae Young, but a, a, um, uh, a younger person, and her name is B.B., uh, I do believe, and she was, according to King on commentary, whenever they were looking back at the flashbacks, <clears throat> whenever they were looking at the recaps of the last episodes of a Monday Night Raw prior to this one, um, she was a paramedic, and then ever since then, ever since then, rather, um, JR keeps calling them those damn Dudleys. And King antagonizes him, gives him a hard time, and says, How about you say that while they're five feet from you? You won't do it, will you? And then every time that they get close, that those, quote, damn Dudleys get close enough, he, he just starts um getting quiet. So, Jim Ross. Yeah. You can't say it to their face, but you can say it behind their back. Edge calls K-Quick and R-Truth. Erika's Wad. I, I think I meant to say Rikazoid. But I put one too many uh, hyphens. Edge complains to Deborah. About not getting a tag team titles match. So after they watched the Dudleys come out and uh, RTC uh, 
win their match, which was a tag team titles match. It's very funny too. This ties into the to the uh, next episode that we're going to talk about as well. Um, by the end of this episode, though, I, I bet a lot of you are probably going to be smiling or laughing. This is possibly one of the worst, as far as wrestling goes, uh, one of the worst matches that I've ever, or one of the worst episodes, rather, of Monday Night Raw. I didn't even put a rating for the uh, Jeff Hardy Bull Buchanan. Yeah, I did. One out of five stars. Never mind, I, I didn't see it on the paper. Shut up. Just just shut up. It was like right out of my uh right out of the pupil of my eye. Right out of my eyesight. And also keep in mind that while I'm doing this, I'm not lighting any candle or, or I am lighting candles. There's candles all around me as a matter of fact. So much so that you would think I was in a dark church, but that's not the case. <clears throat> I just prefer not to have a light on for an hour while I'm reading these notes. I just got done watching all of this, by the way. So, <clears throat> I'm quite sleepy. Nonetheless, what I mean to say, don't mean to get off of, off of the subject or anything like that. Edge calls K-Quick, oh yeah, he calls him a Rekazoid. Um, <clears throat> Edge complains that he doesn't get it. He, he hasn't had a title shot all year, is what he says. He's like, what's going on, Deborah? And and where's Mick Foley? Um, uh, Dean Malenko comes into the Hardy Boys dressing room to give Lita some flowers. He literally just hands her some roses. He he walks right past freaking Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy, and he says, "Hey guys, uh, I, I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see Lita." And it's like. Okay, you just barge right in without even knocking. And on top of that, you know, what? Since when does Dean Malenko have an interest in Lita? I mean, I, I, I somewhat remember the whole Kane, Edge, Lita, Matt Hardy, love triangle, quad... And the reason that Kane was put into that was as a proxy for Matt Hardy, because Matt Hardy had been suspended for um, doing vicious things to um, Edge in real life, in case you guys didn't know. Um, so they used Kane to replace Matt Hardy to finish off the storyline and just be like, okay, we're going to go ahead and finish the storyline, and we're going to... Um, get it done with but then what happened was well that was i guess that's a whole nother can of worms i should do a storyline review of that or something like a what do they call it a fantasy booking of that of me booking everything from that but anyway nonetheless kane was used as a proxy for that there's so much to talk about just getting started Dean Malenko comes out though. He, he's got flowers. He's got he's got the the heart chocolates that I just talked about that Triple H had for Stephanie McMahon. It's not even Valentine's Day, and they're getting more action than I've seen in a month. But um, had that been the case, Lita, she she looks at looks at him and says, "Are these for me?" 
oh my god, thank you so much. And then he's like, yeah, I mean, it's the least that I could have done. And then as he's leaving, she's like, she, he asks if Lita wants to go on a date with him. And then he says, hell no. She says, hell no. And then she just throws the flowers at him and throws his candies. Uh, Triple H and Rakishi form a team for the Armageddon pay-per-view. So, at Armageddon, they're supposed to have this big six-man um, elimination elimination chamber. Holy crap. Hell in a Cell, and it's called an Armageddon Hell in a Cell. The whole time, they're, they're playing music, um, and JR keeps talking about how we're going to Alabama. We're going to Alabama. And then he keeps saying, boy, we're coming home to you. We're going to Alabama. And then I'm why does he keep plugging Leonard Skinner, you know? But on the network, as well as on Peacock, even though some things are censored on YouTube that aren't censored on Peacock, keep that in mind as we, we head in to further into this episode. Um but anyway. They they just keep for for one reason or another Triple H and Rikishi uh form an alliance and they think that they're stronger together. Um the next thing that happens is Benoit versus Hardcore Holly. Now both of them the the funniest promo in wrestling history, um Peacock knocks not censoring like YouTube is exactly what I mean. They, if you go back and, and you just watch like the first, it's probably around the first 25 minutes of the episode. You see Benoit grabbed the microphone from Lillian Garcia without saying, Hey, can I, can I borrow that? And then he, he cuts a promo on hardcore Holly. And on top of that, it's, it's not even a funny one. It's not even a good one. You know, like, I feel like I've heard him say more better insults or, you know, it's it's not even, I don't have the specifics of it written down here, but I remember laughing and then just thinking, what? And, and I don't mean to use this as a, as an excuse or anything, but I'm, I'm kind of tired, you know? This is tiresome. Edge and Christian versus Road Dog and K Quick slash R Truth. Is one out of five stars. Like I said, this this is one of the worst. The worst wrestling episodes that you will ever see in your entire life. As far as wrestling goes. But the segments. The segments. Damn hilarious. WWF championship match. Because Kurt Angle comes out. And then he runs his mouth at the beginning of the um, program. He starts. 
crybabian, as as Jr. calls it. So since he was crybabian, basically what happened was they came out and then they said, you know what? There's no reason that you shouldn't, Kurt Angle. There's no reason that you shouldn't uh, defend your title tonight. And um, had that been the case, he faced off against Chris Jericho in what I put as a four out of five stars match. But honestly, I should have put three and a half or two and a half rather teetering on three because if there's one thing that this match really sells really well is the fact that Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho have such good chemistry together. And for the WWF Championship match before his um, Armageddon pay-per-view, the first ever, might I add, Armageddon, no, we're not going to be reviewing Armageddon because I've, I've watched that match so I can tell you who wins. Kurt Angle retains. Okay, I've watched that match before because I've got a DVD uh, set of it and one day... Okay, so story time. One day, um, a while back ago, we'll put it that way, um, when I was like 14 years old, my mom's power went out, and she can't live without TV, and for that matter, uh, she at the time was afraid of the dark, and probably still is for whatever reason, but, you know, the irrational fears aside... She needed to sleep with the TV light on, for whatever reason. And as I said, our power went out. Now this power outage, power outage, I'm going to go ahead and put that in uh, quotation marks. Power outage went on for about three weeks, or two and a half months, maybe. So... If that's the case, I wonder what my mom was smoking to not have power for the longest time. So, anytime we would have to watch TV, we would either watch old westerns or we would watch wrestling. And I had, and still do have, quite the um, accumulation of wrestling DVDs. So, if that's the case, wrestling DVDs aside, what I'm going to go ahead and do is spoil the end of a pay-per-view for everyone watching who is interested in a December 2000 pay-per-view from WWF, even though I'm sure that that's nobody. Road Dogg and K-Quick slash R-Truth face off against Edge and Christian, and like I said, one out of five stars. There was a WWF championship match between Chris Jericho and the champion Kurt Angle, and three and a half stars. I'm going to have to revise that one. Um, the, the the action breaks down because Kane comes out, and um, he basically like just photoshops the referee out of the ring. Because when Kane shows up, the referee is like, Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. I didn't come into work today for this. And the referee, obviously, 
is Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner. The subject of many controversy. Especially if you remember the fact that it was Earl Hebner's twin brother who... I'll let you guys Google. Google that one. The Million Dollar Man paid off Earl Hebner's twin brother uh, referee or, or something like that. Something like that. In case you don't remember or you weren't born and you never bothered to look it up. The point, of course, that I'm trying to make is that whenever there is controversy, you see Earl Hebner show up. The Intercontinental title match. That's right. Tag team titles were on the line. That was a terrible match. Two out of five stars. The Intercontinental Championship was on the line. And these are in the order that they happen. It was tag titles, WWF Championship, IC title. Okay, now the one Billy Gunn thinks that he was robbed by Chris Benoit, who at the time was the Intercontinental Champion. Oh, okay, that was the Intercontinental Championship match. Okay. At the time, actually, Val Venus was the Intercontinental Champion. Okay. Okay, I'm going to have to revise this entire fucking thing. Pay attention to what I'm about to say, okay? Chris Benoit was the number one contender for the Intercontinental Champion Championship. Like I said, I'm extremely sleepy. Don't give me a hard time about it. This is episode um one of a Monday Night Raw series of two that we will be exploring and one AEW episode. So the one Billy Gunn for um clarification, is the Intercontinental Champion, okay? But he's about to lose it. Okay, but the one Billy Gunn for the IC title match versus Val Venus and right to censor um, RTC uh, comes out um, and gets involved, obviously, again. But I gave it one out of five stars. It wasn't too long either it was like hey the bell rings uh, ding 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 the bell rings ding 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 you know game over there you go everybody got you know 12 seconds in let's go home anyway the next match on the card involves Lita and Dean Malenko as I told you Malenko won't stop and you'll find that out soon enough um <clears throat> I gave it two out of five stars. JR and King are really funny. Um, yeah, their commentary was off the walls. Really, really witty. Really, really funny. Um, King made a joke. I didn't write it down here, but I remembered it for the most part. King said to JR that... Um, no wonder Lita doesn't like Dean Malenko because his pickup line was crappy. Um, I mean, you got to have a good pickup line for a girl like Lita. And then 
JR asked him, okay, well, let's see if you can do any better. What would be your pickup line for picking up Lita? And King, right out the gate, says to JR that Lita is like M&M's because he wouldn't want her to melt in his hand. He would want her to melt in his mouth. Oh my God. Back then, like, King was really just, just all over the place. I swear, this, this perverse old man just, but anyway, that, that was probably the most entertaining part of the entire match, aside from JR asking, okay, so where's he gonna grab her, you know? Or the the really funny part was the fact that you know you 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 have this woman and you have this man who are who are basically like wrestling, you know they're cause supposed to be competitors. The entire match, though, Dean Malenko was extremely respectful um, toward Lita. I mean, he didn't try to grope on her or anything like that not that I was looking for that but I didn't happen to see anything that I wasn't looking for you know um and that's what I was expecting I was like oh god he's probably gonna like do some shenanigans you know like it was rated tv 14 back then it wouldn't have surprised me but the point of course being is that J.R. and King, the best parts of this match right here. Like, J.R. was asking King if they were to go on a date. Not J.R. and King, but if, like, Malenko and Lita were to go on a date, where would he take her? The hospital? Because he kept bouncing his, his, his fist off of her face. And then forearms, forearm, and then forearm after forearm. So I guess he he planned on taking her to the hospital. Crash Holly versus William Regal in a European Championship match on the line. One out of five stars. Mick Foley tells Vince things about Vince's booking. So Foley and Vince are in the ring and um, Vince is basically kind of like telling Mick Foley that, you know, he doesn't appreciate the fact that he's doing a bad job around here. You know, you're not running a very tight ship whenever it comes to Monday Night Raw. Now, these people will agree with me and then, of course, the people just boo him, you know, because they know that Vince is the bad guy, and inherently, you want to cheer for the good guy, and the good guy is obviously Mick Foley. The point, of course, being is that Mick Foley pulls out this tidbit right here by saying that his booking is a hell of a lot better than Vince's just because 
when Vince was in charge of the booking, you got Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson in an evening gown match. Ew! What? I've never heard of, I've never heard of Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe being in an evening gown match. Please, please keep that away from me. Oh my god, I hope that they censor that or cut that on Peacock because I don't want to see it. And, ew! I don't remember that at all. And then he says, and Vince, your booking is better than mine because you kidnapped your own daughter. <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's, that's like the final nail in someone's coffin whenever, you know, you're going to insult them. At least I didn't kidnap my own daughter. Because it was me, Austin. It was me all along. <laughs> oh, God, I swear. Steve Austin comes to the ring. After uh, Vince calls him a son of a bitch to stun McMahon. Then The Rock comes to the ring. He, he practically passes Austin on the, way, on the way out too. And this is the close of the show. I swear to you. So then The Rock comes to the ring to hit The Rock Bottom. The Undertaker passes The Rock. After The Rock leaves, it plays Brocky's music, and then after that, The Rock heads to the top of the ramp, and about halfway through, Undertaker's music hits. He doesn't, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not on his bike, I could be wrong though, but he just walks down to the ring, and Vince is still, is still spaghetti legs trying to get to his feet, because he just got hit with a stunner, and he just got hit with a rock bottom. And then the next thing you know, Vince gets hit with the last ride. The last ride. For those of you who didn't play that video game or don't know what it is that I'm talking about, you, you missed out a lot in your childhood. Because every time that you would hit the last ride... Michael Cole would scream, The last ride! The last ride! Almost like a robot getting excited. The last ride. Nonetheless, what we do after that is we fast forward, seeing as though that we're 30 minutes into an hour-long podcast, we fast forward to the following week. The Raw is War, 12-11, which is December 11th, 2000 episode of um, Monday Night Raw, or Raw is War at this point. We get a Kurt Angle promo. He demands respect from the people. Um, it's a delayed pyro, too. As Angle's walking to the ring, um, and... You're not hearing the you suck chance, but you're you're still doing it. You're you're still doing it yourself. The you suck. You suck. You suck. You're kinda doing you're ti- you're kinda going along with it just because that's that's something that you grew up with. 
because this was before Austin basically uh, got the people to every time that his song hits the whole you suck, which apparently, according to some people, was Angle's idea, but according to Kurt Angle himself, it was Steve Austin's idea. Nope. I think it was The Rock's idea. Nope, it was Austin. It was Austin. In an interview uh, on a on the TV show, uh, Angle says, Damn it, I hate you, Austin. I hate you. I hate you, Austin. But anyway, he demands respect from the people. He, he just comes out and then he just lays it down thick. He starts talking about their local sports teams. He starts talking about the fact that they're... They're a backwoods town or a backwash, a, a backwater town, I guess. And then the asshole chants start, um, you know, that's, that's just a plus. They just start calling him an asshole and JR is like, oh my God, why don't you cry about it? And keep in mind, this is after they got out of the um, Hell in a Cell, they were 24 hours removed from the first ever Armageddon Hell in a Cell, which uh, consisted of six men. Um, <clears throat> he says he's going to give Angle three things. Now The Rock comes out. He says that he's going to give Kurt Angle three things. He says, Kurt Angle, The Rock, seeing as though that it's the season of giving, is going to give you three things. And then he says, you can have your milk, and then he says you can have your cookies, and then he screams into the microphone and says, and then you can take the ass whooping that The Rock is going to give you. For a lifetime for Christmas. This right here segment drags on for like 30 minutes so it's it's either they were stalling for something which makes sense seeing as though that steve austin would show up later or they were um yeah yeah that's that's what it feels like that they were stalling for something <clears throat> and um after that happens the so, earlier in the night, whenever Kurt Angle was talking trash, he forgot to, I forgot to mention that he, he gave The Rock the opportunity. He, he said, now, who's your champion? He was talking to the people, and then he says, it damn sure ain't The Rock, and then The Rock's music hits, and then Kurt Angle says, I'll tell you what, Rock, I'm not at 100%, but me and my friends Edge and Christian here, which Edge and Christian was behind him in the ring, and then he goes on to say, um, we would be willing to take you on in a one-on-three handicap match. How does that sound? And then the Dudleys, their music hits. Um, and then they were mad, apparently, that they didn't get their title shot yesterday. Because it's it's Monday. And, well, it's not Monday here. But you get what I mean. The The review that I'm doing, it would be on a Monday. And had that been the case... Because from last night's pay-per-view, which happened on Sunday, had that been the case, though, these, those damn Dudleys show up and 
They look at the rock. They know that they've got a common enemy in not only Kurt Angle, but also in the tag champions. And this is just a classic heel versus face, you know, showdown. And then The Rock goes on to discuss the fact that um, Kurt Angle can take his three eyes and shove them straight up his candy ass because The Rock has four T's. And they're going to have a four T's match tonight. And tonight is not one of the T's. But he says, we're going to have testicles. He says, we're going to have tables. He he goes on to say, we're going to have turmoil. You know, he, he like runs down all the four T's. And he says that the four T's could whoop the three I's ass any day of the week. And then JR and, and King just keep driving that home all night. Just keep talking about the four T's, the four T's. Oh my God. He talked about the four T's testicle tables match. And that's literally what the rock said. So had that been the case, uh, the rock and Bubba Devon, they go down to the ring, uh, Kurt Angle, ENC, which was Edge and Christian, in a tag team, a six-man tag team tables match. Okay. And The Rock, here's here's a funny part. Okay? Y- you want to talk about a little bit of controversy, Earl Hebner, right? Here's some controversy for you. I had to go back and watch. Like, for real. I had to rewind. I was like, wait a minute. That didn't just happen. And King pointed it out on commentary. So I missed it. But there was a near fall. <clears throat> there was a near fall in a tables match. There, In tables matches, there should be no pinfalls. So how was there a near fall in a tables match? It says the Rock gets a pin and a two count. But this is a tables match? And then on top of that, as soon as... I mean, I didn't notice it. But King pointed it out on commentary, and then he said, "Wait a minute, why is that referee counting the, the counting the pin, and why is the rock pin and edge?" He said, "Because he said because isn't this a tables match?" And then he said, "Yeah, I'm I'm sure the referee was just stretching," is what uh, Jr. said. It was hilarious. <clears throat> rock. But the rock ends up slamming uh, Edge through a table. I gave it three and a half, three and a half out of five stars, just because it was it was kind of funny and I was, it was entertaining. But I was expecting someone to come out and be like, "Oh my God, we're gonna have to interfere." Ivory versus China and right to censor. Okay, so I didn't give this match a rating. Never mind, it's the next match I didn't give a rating. This one wasn't even a match. It just China running her mouth. She came out, she started talking about the fact that um, Ivory, she wanted Ivory, because apparently Ivory's got a problem with the way that China dresses. It, China comes out in these um, <clears throat> skimpy-looking uh, bra and panties. 
and uh, right to censor comes out, and Val Venus with a, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, Val Venus with a spike power driver on China, a banned wrestling move, not sure if it was banned back then, but I know for sure that it's banned in 2021, because in order to hit that, the modified spike power driver, you have to, um, cradle your opponent's neck and head with your um your hand that way that there's a cushion between your opponent's neck and their um immediate death or immediate paralyzation and that is just a modified spike sp spike power driver that I know today as the Angel's Wings done by one Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel. Nonetheless, uh, TNA, or depending upon how you put it, but JR and King give us a rundown a little bit more. I'm glad that they're on top of things because back then I didn't remember any of this. But TNA or uh, TNAPA um, t-shirts, they have these t-shirts on that just, in, where it says APA, there's a T and then the letter N, TNAPA, get it? Uh, it's a double meaning though, for those of you who don't get it, actually it's triple meaning if you count Trish's tits and ass. Um... Trish and Albert, or Test and Albert, depending upon how you look at it. Um, but, or, you know, tits and ass. TNA would make that joke, uh, years later. But nonetheless, what I mean to say is that versus APA, and I give it three out of five stars, uh, Farouk and JBL. Yeah, that way that I know who the APA is, because sometimes I forget. But, yeah, that one was a pretty solid match. Uh, it had a lot of... It was like a big hoss fight between Albert and uh, Bradshaw, and honestly, I thought it was uh, quite entertaining. That's my rating for it, at least. I don't know how you guys feel about it. No sponsors on this podcast today as RTC comes out uh, to stop the Memphis cheerleaders. Okay, so the XFL was about to kick off in February. Um, this was December, keep in mind. Um, whenever the XFL was going to be kicking off in February, it was supposed to compete with the NFL, which it just flopped. Once it, once it hit mainstream, like, no one wants to watch that, apparently. But this was to, pr to promote, rather, the um, XFL and the uh, cheerleaders for the Memphis Maniacs, because they're in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, King's hometown, Jerry the King Lawler, that is, his hometown. And then he comes out and he starts talking about how... You know, it feels good to be here in Memphis with all these great, um, with all these puppies and then all the Memphis maniac 
cheerleaders come down to the ring as it plays some generic listening music. And um, I have a problem with this, honestly. Me, I do, uh, personally. My personal issues aside, though, um, <clears throat> Ivory and the Good Father on the microphone talking about how low class it is to dance? Question mark? Because the only thing that these girls were doing, and they're not even dressed skimpy, they're not even in cheerleader outfits or anything like that, but coming from the the good father, who used to be the godfather, it's kind of ironic that he would come out and be the first one to say something, and there shortly after, like, 30 seconds goes by, and then all of a sudden, the girls, the Memphis Maniac cheerleaders, those girls, get out of the ring, and in comes K-Quick and um, the Road Dog. And they were a short-lived tag team for a while, but um, I gave this match one out of five stars. It was K-Quick slash R-Truth and the Road Dog and Jerry Lawler versus... Okay, now I don't know who this first guy is. I've never heard of him before in my life, and that's... That's just... Just shut up. Just shut up. Because I've been a wrestling fan for far longer than you have. You, yeah, you, who's sitting there listening to this. But anyway, K-Quick, R-Truth, The Road Dog, and Jerry Lawler face off against White Sox. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. Bull Buchanan and The Good Father of uh, RTC. Now, I, I put five out of five stars here, but literally the most redeeming quality about this match is the fact that you see... Jerry Lawler um, smiling, and you get to hear his theme music again. And, I mean, I know I'm talking about him like he's dead, but, I mean, the boys, the man's already got one foot in the grave, and he may as well just retire while he's still ahead. But, um, it was really entertaining, though. That's what I put down, and that's why I gave it five out of five stars, just because it was beautifully executed and really really quite entertaining this might go over an hour ladies and gentlemen but I'm trying to stay on subject I promise you I am <clears throat> Austin says he's going to uh, push an ass kicking on Triple H he said that he's going to um, make Make every bone in his body a sever a herniated disc or something like that. But I couldn't spell herniated disc. So I just had to remember that. The hardcore title match is on the the hardcore title is on the line and this one right here. I'm not really sure how to put this. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. So Raven versus Al Snow. Now before um, Al Snow got this match approved by Commissioner, by Commissioner Mick Foley. Mick Foley, um, adamantly wanted, he really wanted Al Snow to stay away from anything stupid. Don't do anything too extreme. 
Don't do anything stupid. I already got Vince McMahon breathing down my neck, and he keeps telling me that every injury is my fault because I guess I'm the one who's at fault here because I'm the commissioner, and that automatically, indirectly, makes me involved in anything that's done anywhere, I guess, in the World Wrestling Federation. But I don't control you guys. You guys are... Your own people, you know? Like, you guys are adults, and that's exactly what Al Snow says. He says, please don't cut my match, Mick. Please don't cut my match. Just let me have Raven, okay? 24. So, for those of you who don't know at this point in time, whenever you have the Hardcore Championship, <clears throat> there was a rule that stated that you had to defend it 24-7 and I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to talk about it much anymore. Austin says he's going to give Triple H a herniated disc in every bone in the man's body. And I gave that uh, Al Snow Raven match one out of five stars. One out of five stars because it's way too short. They keep talking about how cold it is outside. And on top of that, <clears throat> I'm going to try not to do that much, if, if not anymore. On top of that, though, Raven just whoops, and I mean just beats Al Snow over the head with a cinder block to knock him unconscious. And they said he wasn't breathing. Even though he was unconscious. Steve Austin comes to the ring after William Regal <laughs> and stuns him. Then stuns Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. Then Mick Foley tears up the resignation papers. So, in case you missed something, all night... Practically, Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, Vinnie Mac had had numerous conversations with Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson about about Mick Foley resigning because all of these injuries are on your head, Mick Foley. They're all on your head. Everybody who gets injured tonight is your fault, and it's your fault. Nobody else. Nobody else is partial to blame because even though the roster is made up of multiple adults who are capable of making decisions on their own, on their own uh, state of mind, it's all your fault, Mick Foley. It's your fault that China got hurt. It's your fault that, because China got wheeled away in a stretcher in case I forgot to say that. I'm just trying to get through this really fast. I don't want this to go too much over an hour. But speaking of going over an hour, AEW Dynamite from this week. And yes, I did promise AEW content. So, for those of you wondering, please sit back and enjoy. If you haven't seen this week's episode of AEW Dynamite, I would suggest that you turn this off right now.
what we end up getting is a championship match. I'm running low on light here, so I'm going to have to move my notes to the other side of the room. This was from 12-15-21, if I remember correctly, and it's from the Winter is Coming event. Um, Daniel, excuse me, Brian Danielson um, versus Adam Page, who is our champion. AEW World Heavyweight Championship is on the line, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure, no, it wasn't Excalibur who said it. It was um, uh, uh, Shivani, Tony Shivani, who said um, that this was the biggest wrestling event of the year. Yeah, I guess uh, it outranked. I guess it outranks WrestleMania. I'm a long shot. I was expecting interference, honestly. I was expecting something to happen along the lines of the Dark Order getting involved, um, some sort of low-hanging fruit that would have made sense two episodes from now and not made sense right now. Something that makes um, Adam Page look strong but at the same time, maybe would be a misunderstanding. <clears throat> you know, like, Brian the next week asking Adam Page, did you have the Dark Order come over and interfere during our match? And then Adam Page trying to explain himself, no, no, I didn't. I didn't do anything like that. You know, I wouldn't do that. That's not sportsmanlike conduct. And obviously, we, the audience, know that Adam Page is the face in this story. He is painted as an underdog. And yes, it is a great fucking story. Whenever it comes to the written aspect of this story, and whenever it comes down to the wrestling aspect of this story. Um, the next thing you have is, like I said, I expected interference, but I gave it five out of five stars. And that's the first time that I'm ever giving, I won't say that it will be the last time because I don't know if it'll be the last time, but the first time that I'm ever giving Brian Danielson Brian Danielson, uh, five stars on anything because before I've been ripping him apart on my past, um, episodes and I've been talking about how much trash that he is, how many, I've, I've maybe made three or four or five or ten videos about the man and how useless garbage that he is because he likes to, um, It almost seems like he was booked in a in a series of matches that makes it look like if he didn't get his way, like Hulk Hogan had some sort of creative control over everything in his wrestling career. I feel as though that Brian had that same uh, municipality because there's no way that Brian can, could win every, and I mean every, big money match that he's ever had. 
It just doesn't make any sense. You gotta lose sometimes, you know? And that's what pissed me off about the whole Daniel Bryan situation. And then I was told to shut up because it's my opinion. Well, guess what? It's my podcast. So I get to make the rules now. Anyway, had that been the case, Bryan put on a hell of a performance. I'll gladly eat my words. Adam Page as well put on a hell of a performance. And the way that it ended was just low-hanging fruit. But I'm glad that they were able to save face and not be like, Oh, well, there goes Brian's undefeated streak. There it goes. Poof. Up in smoke. Yep, just that easy. They booked both men so fucking strong. And it's... God, it's so good to see it happen. Anyway... Afterwards, we get a uh, we get a short message from the Super Click. It was made up of Adam Cole, Nick, and Matt Jackson, um, the Young Bucks, and Bobby Fish. Well, actually, the Super Click is only Adam Cole and the Jackson brothers, um, Nick and Matt Jackson, um, with and including Bobby Fish. Because he just happened to be there too. But. And then. They basically lay down the challenge. Which I'm not going to be able to watch. Next week. So I will not review the next episode of. Dynamite. Unfortunately. But. I will get to the. Probably the episode after. Um. Had that been the case though. Um. Best friends made up of Orange Cassidy and Trent, and um, I'm I'm sure that I'm missing a few people here, and I'm sorry, but I don't know who Best Friends is. They've never individually been introduced to me, and quite honestly, I'm uncertain who all the members of the Best Friends and Just Friends um, group is, but. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like every week AEW has to introduce a new faction, you know? And it's really hard to keep up with. Um, next, you get Wardlow versus Matt Seidel. Uh, Sean Spears. Sean Spears basically grabs a microphone 30 seconds into the match and says, Hey, Wardlow. Um, yeah, that that's a little bit too much, man. That's a little bit excessive. Hey, Stop with the triple power bombs, you know, it's that's a little bit excessive. And then he grabs a chair and then he starts beating Matt Seidel in the head with it after um after Wardlow has already won the match. So what do you mean it's it's a little excessive? You just hit him in the head with a chair. Bro, what are you doing? And then after that, someone calls him, so he pretends to answer his phone. And then he answers his phone, and then he says, Oh, how you doing, boss? Yeah, we're in the ring. And he, he like, scurries on off, and then he says, Wardlow, I'm going to need you to buy some champagne for, um, for MJF. It almost comes off like... Wardlow is MJF's um, lackey, you know? And... It's building to what's going to be Wardlow tearing his fucking head off. Serena Deeb and 
I cannot pronounce this woman's name. Hierarch Hierarch But I gave it four out of five stars. Okay. You wanna know her name, just look up Serena Deeb uh and who she who she fought uh last week. Last week as it pertains to this podcast. Please don't watch this three weeks later and then um quote me somewhere saying that <clears throat> last week as it pertains to this date. How does that sound? The date, of course, being twelve fifteen twenty one. Anyway, had that been the case, um, I gave it four out of five stars. Serena Deeb, honestly, she might be the best female wrestler AEW has to offer as far as professional wrestling technical skill goes. Because the the match that she put on here was absolutely beautiful, even though she lost. That's why I gave it four out of five stars, though, because I wasn't expecting to see the winner that I saw. But I think that she damn well deserves it. Next, we get the Varsity Blondes with an interview from uh, Tony... Tony Chimmel. Chimmel. Holy crap. Tony Chimmel. Shut up. So, uh, after, and and I want to address something here. The Varsity Blondes, back in WCW, there was a similar uh, group made up of Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, known as the um, Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot of, yeah, it's not that I'm seeing any sort of, how do I say, in comparison, yeah, I'm not seeing any sort of comparison except in the name and the look, these guys, I, I don't know who they are, I, I've been watching AEW for like 8 weeks or 10 weeks, maybe, Two or three months before I had heard the Varsity Blondes, but they keep showing up. So kudos to them. And in this interview, um, Griff Garrison ends up saying that he's going to uh, break. He's going to break Malachi Black's jaw. So I want to see that happen. Because I'm pretty sure Malachi Black is going to drop you like a sack of potatoes into the Ohio River. Not that I've ever dropped any potatoes into the Ohio River. Damn sure not a bag, because that'd be a waste of potatoes. For those of you who don't know, my favorite uh, snack is potatoes. Now we come to our main event of the evening. As Justin Roberts so heartfeltly says. Trying to sound like Bruce Buffer for whatever reason. MJF versus Dante Martin. Let me tell you something about this kid, Dante Martin. I gave it four out of five stars because it was a beautiful, a 
beautiful match. And you want to know what happened? Well, here's a few spots that I've seen. Rolling Thunder 450 splash onto MJF. A shooting star press to MJF. A beautiful, a beautiful rally of near falls. Which is also what we've seen on the uh, Serena Deeb uh And, and who her opponent was because that was honestly beautiful as well. Just the, the back and forth, all of the, it was just a rally of nothing but near falls. One, two, and then someone else would chime in with a different near fall or a, a victory roll into a Manhattan cradle into a, um, into a, a different pinning combination, a backslide into a, a reverse jackknife uh, cover, you know. It was so hard to keep up with, but I, I liked what I was seeing because it kept going back and forth and back and forth, and it was so goddamn beautiful. Ricky Starks get... Yeah, he he uh, comes down to the ring, and like I said, I wasn't expecting to see any... After the first match, I figured that there would be no interference whatsoever, but this wasn't interference. Like, he came in and actually, like, started decking the opponent that he didn't agree with, you know, fighting who it was that he was with on quote-unquote Team Taz because Taz got an earful from... Uh, Tony, for some reason I keep wanting to call him Chimmel, but that's not his name. Tony Chimmel is a, is a, god damn, I'm so sleepy, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, and I, I don't want to say Tony Khan, not Excalibur, not, um, not Taz, the other guy, you know who I'm talking about, Right? Not JR. Anyway, Taz got an earful, and I mean an earful, from Tony Chivani. Chivani? Yeah, it's, it's Chivani, right? It's not Chimmel, it's Chivani. Shut up. I'm sleepy. Ricky Starks gets involved, helps MJF. To retain an MJF in true fashion comes out whenever he does come out, by the way. And I didn't put this at the beginning because um, even though he came out at the whenever he came out to the ring, he grabs a microphone and then he just starts talking about how Texas sucks, how Texas is is awful. They say everything's bigger in Texas, but I bet you mine is bigger than yours. Is basically what he comes out and says. He he basically runs down Texas, makes fun of Texans, almost like SpongeBob do, did at the. Uh, we're not going to say anything bad about Texas episode. <laughs> you mean we can't say uh, anything bad about poor old stupid dumb old Texas? Y'all better not make fun of Texas one more time. 
you remember that episode. Anyway, I'm getting off subject here. Ricky Stark stops. Stark stops the um, three count from a referee. Not by pulling the referee out. No. But by saving MJF because his foot was on the rope. And Ricky Stark is the one who put it there. Ricky Stark is the one who put MJF's foot on the rope. And then after MJF wins his his diamond ring or whatever it was, the diamond mine championship ring or whatever it was was on the line, and after he's done making fun of Texas Texans and making fun of CM Punk's undefeated streak, the lights go out, and I was expecting to see um, Malachi Black, but instead of seeing Black, I got to see Darby Allen and Sting attack FTR and MJF. And for those of you who don't get it, FTR stands for Fuck the Revival. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me. I am starting to lose my voice. I'm sorry that this had to carry over to uh, 10 minutes, but it's okay because I've got the hours to pay for it for the month in question. And for that matter, thank you all so much for joining me. And until next time, I've been Mocha, your host, this evening. And that is a wrap.